Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Pittman. Thank you for joining us this morning. Hope you had a great, 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 great week. Uh, and I'm excited about this show. But but first, a few hot topics, y'all. Obviously, it's August. We all know that. Uh, but it's but do you know that it's Black Business Month? So what that means is every time you walk out the house and you're getting ready to do something, before you do it, think about whether you could support a black business. Um, you shouldn't just do it this month, but just especially this month. Uh, also, y'all, I don't know if you know, but Jessica is telling me that there is a Sean Pittman Show website and it is up. Y'all should check it out. Um, SeanPittmanShow.net. Y'all should check it out. You can stay uh, up with us. If you miss a show, you'll be able to go there and, and hear it. Uh, and then also go through all the 200 and plus shows that we've had over the last uh, several years. So uh, SeanPittmanShow.net. Go on and I, you might be able to comment on it. I don't know. Uh, if you can, do it. If it's not nice, we'll take it down. <laughs> uh, Trump arraigned this past week. Uh, that's becoming like common thing, right? Third indictment for the past president. And uh, yet he is uh, on the ballot. Well, he's trying to get on the ballot as the Republican nominee for president again. Uh, But this judge in D.C. uh, seems to be pretty tough. Um, Judge Tanya, I don't know if it's Tanya or Tanya, um, Chuckin, uh, she is trying to speed this thing up. Is that wrong? Is that... Okay, well, y'all correct me on her name. I just saw her, and I saw she was black. <laughs> and and I saw that she's really trying to push this thing forward. Uh, she wants them to come back with, uh, um, with some dates on how long and some perspective on how long they think this, this, is, this particular trial is going to take. Um, so, you know, this has to do with the um, election, him trying to... to make them create votes for him to win right um so that's one of the that's one of the um that's one of the issues for him anyway y'all back to school uh it's coming up this week uh all you all our kids are going back to school it's a good thing uh it, it they they gotta we gotta give them the room to do that and you know i was reading this thing the other day that parents you can tell your kids you know how you tell them to go to bed and they don't want to go to bed and they say they're not tired here's what you say to them you say it's not about how tired you are it's about how tired you're making everyone else (laughs) all right that's what you tell your kids but this show is about back to school and we thought there'd be no better person than the former chair of school board uh, Mr. Daryl Jones, now currently a, a Leon County School Board member, but certainly one of the more vocal members of the school board and uh, and a friend of the show. So we wanted him to come on as schools are reopening and and talk about 
this all the issues that are related to it. So y'all may remember, if you don't, let me remind you. In November 2018, Daryl Jones was elected to Leon County School Board representing District 3, which includes all schools and students uh, in Southern Leon County. Uh, Mr. Jones is an active volunteer in our community, lending his considerable expertise and guidance to several organizations, y'all, uh, and a variety of boards. Uh, so, Mr. Jones... School board member Jones. Welcome to the show again, man. Thank you so very much, Attorney Pittman. I'm always, as I like to say, I'm deliciously proud to join you, particularly because as a local business owner, entrepreneur, media personality, you have been one of the most ardent supporters of the things that affect our children, that affect our schools through your BBMC and its annual golf tournament and your and your community support has just helped our children particularly our Title I schools in enormous ways. So to be in your show and to be with you on this morning, I could not be more delighted. So thank you for providing me with this special place and space again. Well, thank you for being here. Hey, uh, Jessica, give him that Give him that money for that. <laughs> Go it's ahead and tr- pay the man. You know, it's the truth. Pay the man. It's the truth. Speed, pay the man. <laughs> pay the man. Uh, School board member Jones, thank you. Really, all of that. We work together on a lot of things. Yes, so, we do. So it, it charges me up to see all that you do in the community. So it certainly challenges me to do, um, try to do half of what you do. Uh, but here we are. The start of every school year, though, brings its own set of challenges and, and opportunities. What, 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 if we're talking to the parents, let's just start by talking to the parents. What, what, uh, what should they anticipate will be different about this school year? Well, the good part about this school year, we, as a school district, remain committed to making certain that our young people and our teachers, that our teachers are teaching in the most optimal environments that our students can also learn in those same similar optimal environments. Our superintendent and our school board are purposely and intentionally making investments in both furniture, facilities, to make certain that all of our schools, no matter how old the facility, that they are equipped with everything that a teacher needs to teach. We also Uh, At the same time, as we begin a brand new school year, Attorney Pittman, we're asking our community to remain engaged. In times past, we know the impact of community involvement in our schools. We want this year to be no different than what we've seen during the past. You'll remember, Attorney Pittman, during the pandemic, community-based organizations and individuals came in droves to meet the needs of our children and vulnerable uh, families to make certain that learning could occur. As a district, we made intentional investments in Chromebooks. Well, this year, although we've got COVID behind us, there are still implications that still persist, and that is why we need all hands on deck to serve our children. And so that's what's different about this year is that volunteers and mentors are welcome to come back to be a part of the success found in our district. Well, I'll tell you, I was intrigued by the editorial you wrote. It's in the paper today and um, and actually came out digitally on Friday, last Friday. And quite, I bring it up because you sort of mentioned something that, that reminds me of what you were articulating in this argument. Quite a, quite a challenge to the community to engage beyond um, the engagement today. Can you take that off the paper for us? Well, 
what what we're what we're, what I'm asking, right? There's a whole Tallahassee enjoys the enviable distinction of being the tenth smartest community in the country. In the country, that means per capita we have more degreed persons per capita. Now you know somebody sitting across the couch from somebody right now across the pulpit. And they hear this in their earphone. They looking at somebody that they think dumb. <laughs> and they saying, what is he talking about? Well, what that means is that there are only nine communities in this country with cities all over the all over the United States of America. We rank 10th in the number of persons per 1,000 that have degrees. That means we have a great deal of intellectual capital in our community. And a great deal of it is now not thoroughly engaged in activities concerning our children, and our children deserve to have the benefit of that wisdom, of that intellect, outside of what they see in the ordinary classroom setting. So I'm asking our neighbors, our retirees, our retired teachers, persons who may even be enrolled in college right now, Find ways and means whereby you can model finer manhood and womanhood for our kids. They need to know that this community is genuinely concerned about their success. Well, great article, by the way. Um, and thank you. Thank you for writing it. And and you know what? There's a real message here, right? I mean, look, even from the Big Ben Minority Chamber perspective, one of the reasons that we're engaged with what you guys are doing and in our schools is because those students are our future leaders. They're our future business leaders. And you don't have, if you're engaged with businesses, you don't have to have children in schools of your own to realize that those children in the school, in our schools, will have a major impact on our lives. So that's why we sort of lean in. And, and when I read your article, I thought, you know what, that's what he's saying to the whole community. Lean in because... Whatever you're in, the future of that is coming from our school system. So thank you for writing that. But you, but thank you, yeah. Sean. And this is what and this, and your example of the Big Ben Minority Chamber here near and over the last three years, you and the persons that you have been able to marshal their resources to our schools, our Title One schools most specifically, has been nearly a hundred thousand dollars. What that has meant to our schools, to our teachers, to our principals, to have those types of discretionary funds have helped us to move the needle even during the pandemic, to make certain that those Title I schools have the resources they need to remedy learning loss, to provide the types of services that help to offset the trauma that our our children are requiring even more than just instruction. Teachers are having to speak to the needs of the whole child. And and although our schools are funded, They don't have all the resources that a child needs to remove the barriers that stand between them and learning. So that's why the support of the Big Ben Minority Chamber is so important. Here today, we've got a local church family worship and praise center with the Reverend Quincy Griffin, who at 11 o'clock this morning will be giving away tennis shoes and sneakers to all of our kids who will show up. Nearly 5,000 children will be blessed with a brand new pair of tennis shoes. We think of that as... Wow, that's amazing. And we think of that as just... Shoes? What does that mean? For a kid who doesn't have shoes or a a family that can't afford shoes, that type of engagement, that type of uh, uh, community uh, support for our kids and for our children is 
priceless. And so I'm thankful for you because your example has helped to spur others to rise to the challenge and support our kids. Well, so many others, right? The BBMC led by Antonio Jefferson and Larice Thomas, Dana Dudley, a lot of folks. So, uh, and that that golf tournament is coming up. Again. Yes, it is. Uh, so, hopefully, our spon- those sponsors will come back, knowing that these proceeds are going to Title One schools and yes. important issues. These schools that you know they can't. It's difficult for them to raise money. Uh, this is a tool to help them do that. Yes. Um, you know, we talked a lot last time about last time we talked which was about this time last year, we talked a lot about mental health issues. Uh, Does that remain uh, a concern for you and the board? Yes, it is. And we have intentionally marshaled resources. We've received additional monies from the state of Florida uh, and the Department of Education to be able to provide more services. The reality is, is that our children are still, one, reeling from the impacts of COVID. And a great number of our kids, you know, Kids don't choose the families in which they are born. And you would not you would be surprised to know, and not just Title I families, but from families across our district, our kids are witnessing things and having to deal with challenges that are that regrettably kids shouldn't have to deal with. But they deal with them and we need to do what we can as a school district because we have those children for as many as eight hours a day to be able to provide the types of services that can help them to manage trauma, manage stress, and such that they can be able to be equipped to be the best learners possible. Our kids, our, our teachers subscribe to this notion of in loco parentis, which means in the place of the parents. Today, this week, matter of fact, I have visited each and every one of my schools. I provided breakfast for them because our teachers came back this week. And one of the things that I tell all of my teachers in my district every time I have a chance to address them is that I thank them for loving first and teaching second. And because they love first, that is a strong, strong, strong method by which we're able to help our children know that they are seen, they are valued, and their full lives, not not just the instruction, but the whole child is a concern of the teacher and the district. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to school board member Daryl Jones, and we're talking about, uh, well, schools are opening this week. Uh, and it's time to, to, you know, get our kids back in uh, those four walls where they're learning the most. Um, school member Jones, we talked last time also about remedying the learning loss following COVID. Uh, does that remain a concern? Yes, and we're and we are making certain that we have our teachers have the resources that they need. We've just now started a brand new pet, uh, methodology by which we now do standardized testing in the spring. Uh, we're now looking at those numbers, and then subsequently, what those numbers help to inform us of, of where the gaps are and what we need to do in terms of the instruction we provide, the curriculums that we utilize to make certain that our children are meeting certain targets as they move from one grade to another. Those test scores as well as what we see has been their progress over the course of the year informs the types of budget decisions we make as a district and so that we're able to offset what we know is remedy, uh, remedying uh, learning loss. We've made great gains, but we still know that there's more to do. So all of this conversation about parents' rights, um, what does that really mean? And does the conversation also include 
parents' responsibilities as well. Well, one of the things, you know, there are so many voices uh, in this in this space now that I believe that it is all the more important that parents remain engaged. That engagement uh, evidences their responsibility to our children, to their children. Parents' rights have always existed, so that's no new normal. Parents have always had access to our schools, have always had access to their children in our schools, have always had access to their teachers. The problem that I have seen is that parents are not subject matter experts. Teachers are. And so when we have this type of engagement where parents are telling teachers what to teach and how they should teach, that's when it goes awry. Because what we want to know, what we want in our schools is that our children receive a broad, wide and diverse curriculum that prepares them for the rigors and responsibilities of adulthood. And we want parents to be our partners in that. And that is the responsibility of our parents to be partners in the instruction of their children. Not tell us how it's done but to be partners in that instruction. And so we invite our parents to participate. In fact, in my column today, I want more of our parents to come. I want more of our parents to come to school board meetings. When you think about the, the issues that are now we're dealing with, the misrepresentation of African-American history, policies that are averse, uh, that are, that are averse to uh, particular vulnerable student populations, we need all parents to weigh in and their voices to be heard. And that, too, is a part of the parental responsibility. You've heard me say before, and I, and I would love your, your um, reaction to it. You, you've heard me say before that that the difficulty in the times that we're in, particularly as it relates to kids, in my opinion, is that we, our generation, mine and yours in particular, turned against uh, our village. We sort of turned against the village that raised us, right? We we turned against the teachers. I mean, we we side. We look in my day, you couldn't call, you couldn't have the teacher call your house. They, it didn't matter what they would have to say. I was in trouble as soon as at hello, right? Right. Um, we've turned on law enforcement, and though in some in some respects they they sort of deserve that because of you know there's they they still got to work out their problems within, but but we we don't trust anybody anymore. And I'm not saying some of it's not deserving. I'm saying that there is a direct impact and result. That leads us to a place that, 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 that the lines are so blurred. How do you react to that? Well, this goes back to what I talk about when I say subject matter expertise. There was a time when the teacher in your community was probably one of the most respected persons in the community. They were seen as the elders. They were seen as respected voices. Now, with this brand new narrative where now teachers have gone from heroes to, to villains. And this villainy in the village, as you describe, is going to help, is, is a part of undermining our society. I am certain of it. And we see that in the paucity and the scarcity of persons who are going in the profession. Why do, why do our best and brightest, why would they go into the profession when they're one, grossly underpaid and then undervalued and disrespected? Our teachers I, I, I'm a spiritual person, Sean, and I don't see teaching as a talent. 
I see it as a spiritual gift as described in Scripture as a gift from God. Well, but then that's how and we it, used to and, treat it. And, it. and it is a calling upon a person's life. But here now in this current environment and climate where we now have these this, this narrative that puts forth uh, falsehoods and mistruths about what teachers and their intentions makes it all the more difficult for people for our district and districts across the country to find new per, new persons, new persons to come into these to the profession and provide instruction for our children. And it is very regrettable. And until we change that narrative to one, offer them the one, the salaries that they deserve and then the respect that they deserve, well, we will continue this downward spiral. You remember how much we respected teachers when we were in COVID, when the parents had to become the teachers themselves? Yeah, we learned <laughs> We learned a lot, didn't we? <laughs> but, we, learned, but even, we learned what we didn't know, Exactly, didn't we? and what we couldn't put up with. <laughs> but, but even to finish my point, because I often drop off because I say it in my head and I don't say it out loud, but, but when you called my parents' house and you were a teacher, I'm in trouble no matter what. The, the explanation I had didn't matter very much. It's the opposite today. Right. If a teacher calls a parent house, generally speaking, y'all, don't don't go on that little new website I told you and start saying, you don't know what you're talking about. But generally speaking, there's this flip where, you know, where the teacher feels in a way like they shouldn't have called because they're met with, they're met with, with, with such anger, such, uh, Distrust, and and I, I'm saying that I think generally speaking, it's having an impact, and I think I think I think you're saying it too. But, but Sean, but, it's the truth. Yeah, parents have to see teachers as their partners in their children's the educational maturation. They, the village, they are partners. Right. That's right. Parents are the first teachers. True enough. And their preparation of our young people is tantamount to their success. That is one of the challenges that we deal with now, is that parents have abdicated their responsibility to prepare their children before they even come to school. Yeah. And so so we've got to remedy that and see that education remains the important salvo that it has always been to prepare our young people for adulthood. We've got to have strong conversations and see parents parents and teachers in partnership together for their children. And, and, and I think what you're saying is we all have responsibilities and a part to play, and that hasn't changed. No. That hasn't changed. You remember how, the how, teacher, how we go at, about it has changed, but at, the responsibilities haven't changed. Sean, I can see the teacher now. A teacher calls my mom, and I say, well, that teacher don't like me. You know what my mom would say? Some days I don't like you either, but you, <laughs> but you go to school. Your job is to go to school. That's right. And my job is to make sure I got food on the table right, and, this is and the, a roof over your head. All right, school board member, this is real talk here. This is real talk. <laughs> now, but now that we off the parents, we're going we, we gonna to get off y'all now because we love you. We love you. And, uh, and well, I'm, I'm, I'm a parent of a middle schooler, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm concerned about uh, social studies curriculum and the accurate instruction of American Ridiculous. history. Um, t- tell, tell me where we are as a district on this issue. The good part about it, I do believe my colleagues and I are in lockstep in that we will not embrace any curriculum that misrepresents the history of our great country in, in any segment or population found therein. And as I hear politicians doubling down on this notion that slavery was some type of career technical education option or, or some workforce training program, if, that, if slavery was so great, 
Why didn't white folks sign up for it is my question. This type of misrepresentation, imagine what children must think when their history is minimalized. Hear this horrible epic and era in our history misrepresented in such a way when we then forsake the opportunity to say that we as a nation looked inwardly to our own values and both blacks, whites, and everyone in our community came to remedy the problem with the abolition of slavery. That's a great story about the American ideal that deserves to be told, that we came together as a nation and then through reconstruction, then purposely and intentionally created the types of institutions, HBCUs and and, and, uh, land-grant high schools to educate these newly freed blacks. That is a moment of triumph. But we want to now minimalize it by then looking at slavery in a way that is by no means historically accurate. And I regret that because it says something to our children about what we can right away or whitewash, and there is no place for that in our classrooms. Well, and it also doesn't tell the story that um, slaves were brought over here and a lot of them had significant skills that, outshadowed the skills that were here. Right. And and again, those slaves helped build this country. Right. And that has to be told. Right. You know how you get there in a room. There was no Ellis Island for us. No, no. Uh, you know how you get in a room with 50 people in it and you you start something at the, at the beginning, you whisper something in the ear. And everybody whisper it in somebody's ear. And by the time you get to the end of that 50 people, it ain't, it's nowhere close to what right. we said. But that ain't history. That's what we're trying. That's, that's what's, that's, that's the attempt today is to, uh, is to rewrite history. And we, uh, and I'm glad to know that, 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 that school system is, um, paying attention to that. Listen, we always love having you here. And I'm honored to be here and thank you. And we talked about some serious issues in our last minute. Uh, what is the district doing to strict, strengthen the extracurricular offers, uh, offerings? I mean, I know we talked about sports, the arts, and activities in our final minute. Well, uh, we are finalizing uh, a brand-new turf field uh, at Godby High School, which is our fifth turf field. That means all of our high schools have turf fields now, a major investment uh, in our schools. The superintendent continues to provide uh, um, budgets to each of our school sites. One of the ideas that he had that came from one of our school board members, I believe it was Roseanne Wood and Dee Rasmussen, we realized that Title I children don't just attend Title I schools. So that those children can have the same type of enrichment activities, we made certain that we put monies at our particular schools to make certain that all of our children could enjoy the same types of enrichment activities that help to build uh, build the types of of, of interests in, uh, in both the arts and in culture that can stimulate what we believe can be future artists, future musicians, future recording artists. We know that our talents and the talents and uh, talents and skills of our children are diverse, and we want to do everything we can to capitalize on that. So I'm just grateful for all of uh, what we're doing. We're also now um, uh, energizing our gifted program so that our young people can have the best experiences at that level as well. 
So we are looking across the expanse of the district to make certain that our children are fully served. And I'm very, very happy that we are creating intentional pathways at every level, elementary, middle, and high school for career and technical education and planting seeds that our young people can see that, see career and technical education as viable options so that when they walk across the, uh, the stage with a diploma, they'll walk across the stage with a certification ready to go into a career. All right. Love it. We're going to leave it right there with school board member Daryl Jones and Thank you, Sean. parents, teachers. Have a great, great school year. Start it off right um, this coming week. And just know those of us here at the Sean Pittman Show are uh, um, wishing you the best at what you do. The very, very best at what you do. Listeners, stay with us. We'll come right back with a Pittman Point. It's time for Pittman's Point on 96.1 Jams. Welcome back to the show. And now it's time for the Pittman Point. We hope that you all are following uh, us on social media, which if you aren't, you can find us at Sean Pittman Show on Instagram, um, on X, <laughs> formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, we're always sharing a ton of information you all need to know, not just about our weekly guests, but also black history facts. This is something uh, we take a lot of pride and joy in, y'all. Uh, of sharing with you all, especially down here in Florida, where black history, American history and um, what is being taught has gotten really strange. Right. So I'm going to take a quick moment to tell you all about an important figure, uh, if you're not already aware. And that is Mrs. Henrietta Lacks. In 1951, 31-year-old Henrietta Lacks unknowingly, unknowingly, y'all, made an indelible mark on medical science uh, when her cervical cancer cells were taken during a routine medical procedure at John Hopkins University. Those cells, now famously known as HeLa cells, were the first and for many years the only human cell line able to reproduce indefinitely. Those cells remain exceptionally resilient today and have been used in research around the world, including revolutionizing uh, medical research and creating transformative medical treatments. Unfortunately, Henrietta Lacks passed away also at age 31 and without any idea uh, of the miracle working radical change that her cells would have on the world. Now, the cells taken from Henrietta were collected without her knowledge or her permission. Uh, and decades after her passing, Henrietta's family also did not know or consent to uh, the use of her cells, even though pharmaceutical companies were continually buying, selling and profiting from HeLa cells. Well, on August 2nd, 2023, the descendants of Henrietta Lacks and my friend, former guest of this show, attorney Ben Crump, reached a settlement in the legal battle over the unauthorized use of her HeLa cells, bringing closure and recognition of her legacy. So the Pitman Point this week is one of gratitude for her impact and for simply being able to know about her story, because there's so much of our history untold, y'all, and I get to share it with y'all right here on the Sean Pittman Show. Henrietta Lacks is a black history maker, and she is a hero uh, whose life literally and continuously helps to heal the world. She would have turned 103 years old on August 1st, but I do believe Oprah said it best. Henrietta Lacks has immortal life. So celebrate her. Remember her story and tell someone else, uh, especially our children, y'all. 
This has been the Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you in seven. This is the Sean Pittman Show on 96.1 Jams, Tallahassee's big station. We got this.